0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.
1: On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 1989 classic Say Anything. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but it probably helps. So if you continue, uh, please do be aware that there will be light plot spoilers for the film Say Anything. Enjoy.
0: check check one don't you mic test without me ba, 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 don't 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 you mic test without me
1: good evening how are you doing
0: hello there i'm not too bad how are you
1: i'm good man yeah i, I turned off the the face thing so hopefully that will help, just help the processing time yes as have i and also because I look ridiculous. Um sweating. Oh, really? I've just had like a really sweaty day, you know?
0: Oh, right. I'm getting um, you doubled up for some reason. I've got, I've got Paddy. I'm
1: getting you doubled up for some oh, reason. Oh, really? Hang on. New call. How's that?
0: Yep, that's okay.
1: Cool. Yep, you're not doubling up there.
0: I blame Google for this. It's all their fault.
1: Fuck's sake, Google, with all your fucking free tools to help podcast people. How fucking dare you?
0: How dare you not provide a perfect service every single time to to these people that use your services? It's a disgrace. It's an outrage.
1: It, it is an international disgrace. <laughs> Just like the UK. That should
0: be their new tagline. <laughs> yes, yeah. Go, Google the UK of tech.
1: <laughs> yeah, a company that enjoys punching itself in the face. Yes, exactly.
0: So how's your week been, man? You all right?
1: Yeah, not too bad. Very, very busy. Had a lot on. Softball team lost again on Tuesday, but it wasn't as humiliating a defeat as the week before. So, you know, onwards and upwards. Oh, well
0: that's that's something, yeah. isn't it?
1: I um only about an hour ago got back from the East London Comic Art Festival where, um, you know, I run this company called Good Comics. We published, um our latest book debuted today. So we don't have a table but the guy whose book it was, this guy called Josh Hicks, he had a table, so I brought the books down to him and started selling them there, and he signed all the pre-orders and stuff. So that was a real nice day.
0: Brilliant. I've seen some pre- uh, some little previews of that online, and it looks amazing, I've got to say.
1: It is an amazing book. I'm so, yeah, I'm so proud of it and, like, really pleased to have published it. It's like he's just got a really, really unique style and a really great way. Like, he could tell any kind of story as well. Like, some of it is your standard autobiographical comic stuff, and some of it is, um, like, sci-fi stuff. Some of it's speculative fiction, and he's he's got a, good, a real good sardonic edge. And yeah, so that's been that's been real nice, actually, this week.
0: Oh, great stuff.
1: How about you? Um,
0: I have been working very, very, very long days because it has been the E3 Video Game Expo this week. Yeah. So um, our, our editor-in-chief went all the way down to LA to actually take part in the event and has been getting some really great scoops for us. And then um, the rest of the editors have basically been maintaining the site and getting stories live and finding fresh stories from other sources and things like that. Um so I've been working pretty much from 6am through to about 10 at night uh since since Monday but it started on Sunday night for me. That's rough. Um so it's been a it's been a it's been a long week. It's d- dying down now thankfully. But uh yeah, it's 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 very exciting though. Lots of lots of big video game previews and big reveals and things like that.
1: Yeah, it seemed like there's some cool Nintendo stuff.
0: There's lots of cool Nintendo stuff that's out, but the the most exciting thing for me is Garfield the cat is getting a Pokemon Go rip-off game called Garfield Go. What? Yeah, I know, right? It it looks it looks incredible. <laughs> um it, it it looks like it's it's going to change the face of video games and mobile phones and cats forever. That's how important this game is. <laughs>
1: It's going to change the face of video games to that of an orange, slightly grumpy cat. <laughs> Not to be confused with grumpy cat. Yeah,
0: there's too many grumpy cats out there on the market now, isn't there? Garfield really needs to retire.
1: Yeah, he's past it. He's had it.
0: Um, what I think, I think what we need is, um, is now that we've got Garfield Go, I think we need Heathcliff Go. Do you remember Heathcliff the cat?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, it seems like the engine of that game is quite easy to use as a skin because they took it from... What's that game? Ingress. They took it from that and basically just sort of threw Pokemon on top of it. So actually, it seems like if you can use that skin for lots of other things, we could make a Sensations Go.
0: Sensations Go. Catch various different kinds of hot dogs. 150 different kinds of hot dogs.
1: Virtual reality hot dogs um, everywhere. Yes, (laughs) I think I think this this is a winner right here. Or that when when you turn the camera onto any person, it gives them like Guy Fieri style frosted tips and sunglasses and turns them into a very positive person.
0: <laughs> we we'd be creating AHR augmented hot dog
1: reality. <laughs> Not AFR augmented Fieri reality. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just Guy Fieri coming at you all the time you'd need to wear the the, you get that they call the google cardboard something like that and just wear that headset all the time (laughs) just see the world as as guy fieris that'd be a nice world
0: i I would love i would love to both see the world full of guy fieris and see the world as guy fieri sees it yeah either way i think that would be amazing
1: well everything just looks good to you like every and like. It could affect it could be like wired into your brain as well. So when you're gonna say something that you think you're gonna praise something, you're gonna say something that's good rather than just being like, Oh that's good, or some kind of such boring British phase, you're like, That's money. <laughs> yes. Which is d- one of his favourite phrases. I,
0: I I demand that this happens.
1: Cool. So we're gonna get onto Google about that. And I think they'll definitely listen to us.
0: Yeah, I think so, you know. I think I think they, they're going to enjoy our feedback about how rubbish they are. And then if we follow it up with, with the idea for Sensations Go or Fieri Go
1: or Guy Go. Guy Go. <laughs> hey, isn't that a Swedish dance DJ? <laughs> and we'll, um, we'll sell it to Google on the basis that they have a brand perception as being the UK of tech, but this is how they can become the America of tech. Yes. <laughs> Make Google great again. <laughs> and that's great spelled G-R-A-T-E like cheese yes oh so we've kicked we've kicked off with our sensations chat before we've even mentioned the main film that we're going to talk about that's good so i might as well while we're on the subject get to some follow-up um friend of the podcast adam Maleski, tweeted us a link to tell us that hot dog vape is real yes
0: i know god it's a
1: thing that exists
0: i think that's how we know that humanity's time on the planet should now come to an end is is when hot dog vape is real yeah um where yeah, programs like the day to day have now stopped being parody and are now just reality.
1: Yeah, I could actually imagine vaping being something off of Brass Eye, like on the drugs episode.
0: Yeah, it could it could quite easily be off that, or something from Nathan Barley.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is quite Barley, isn't it? Those like little the little space clarinets.
0: <laughs> yeah, because uh, vaping is well weapon.
1: <laughs> yeah. It is a, a vape pipe? I don't know what the, the proper word for it is. It's <laughs> like it looks. Yeah, Did, it looks like a weapon, an actual weapon.
0: I think uh, uh, aren't are Weezer going to sing about that in their next album?
1: Got my vape pipe. They got their vape pipe. Yep, it's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to see Weezer at Wembley Arena. I can't remember when it is. September, October time. Oh, brilliant! That'd be great. I have not seen them. I think since something like two thousand and three or four. Um, And as you know, they're one of my favorite, if not my favorite band. It's been a while. I mean, their their recent stuff is kind of just kind of goofy, semi okay, listenable pop rock. Um, but their old stuff is just is very dear to my heart so if if he wants to sing about vaping, he can sing about vaping as long as they get up there and still do stuff off of the blue album and Pinkerton it's fine by me
0: their Their latest album was pretty darn good though the one with back in the shack
1: on it that's not even their latest album. I think they've possibly oh have they released another one since then? They've had one since then or maybe even two they keep they keep churning stuff out, yeah, they're really prolific, yeah. I mean, nothing. Nothing is as good as the album cover of Ratitude, obviously. <laughs> uh, or Hurley. I actually. don't. It's kind of a toss-up between those two.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say. I think. I think Hurley might be the best.
1: <laughs> I know you're a bit. You're a big fan of I, Hurley.
0: I am a big fan, not of the music of Hurley, but the concept of Hurley. It always makes me happy whenever I think of it.
1: Yeah, that is definitely their worst album. It has it, that song. Where's my sex? Which is the worst, <laughs> the worst Weezer song? So bad, so bad! That I demand that you um, stop listening to the podcast and go and listen to it now.
0: The thing is, at the same time, it's their worst album. But in a way, I feel as though it's their best moment in terms of peak Weezerness.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. It's the peak of kind of the the weirdness and goofiness and sort of very erratic, strange, eccentric- eccentricness of Rivers Cuomo. It's yeah, it's peak peak Cuomo. So I'm very excited about that.
0: Yeah, no, that would be great, man. It's yeah, I'm I'm very envious of you. I've never seen Weezer before.
1: Yeah, I don't know if there's still tickets. If there are, you should come along. I think it's on the weekend. But... Yeah, maybe, maybe. Cool. I should also say before we get to talking about say anything, which is our film for this week, I'm currently wearing um, jazz shoes because you know we had that chat about like Ryan Gosling's shoes in La La Land. Well, I bought a pair that are like that off of eBay. And we have a wedding that we're going to tomorrow of our friend Catherine, who plays the drums in Palomino Club. And I decided that the outfit that I'm going to wear is basically the exact outfit that Ryan Gosling wears in La La Land in the, the dance scene in the sunset, um, uh, sunrise even. Um, so I've got like a, this blue suit that I had anyway, and I bought these jazz shoes. So I'm just wearing them in, you know, when like you wear a pair of shoes and you're wearing them around the house. Yeah, yeah, you're just wearing them in today. Yeah, but because it's so hot, I'm wearing those and then I'm wearing like board shorts and a baggy Seattle Mariners t-shirt. I don't even support the Mariners. (laughs) I just don't don't know where this t-shirt came from. But yeah, it's a pretty strong, pretty strong outfit. Oh, very nice. I wonder if I can if I can hold up my shoe to the screen and then you can see.
0: Uh, Oh, yes. Let me have a look. Oh, I saw. Yeah, I saw the heel of it. Oh, yeah, there we go. Very nice. I'm liking it.
1: Yeah yeah that's that's good good um audio content, but I wanted you to see it even though you're going to see it tomorrow
0: i like I like the little preview
1: yeah so yeah on to on to talking about say anything um I watched this film on Sunday evening while I was doing my ironing for the week um so it's actually usually I've watched the film more recently and because it's been a long week, I don't know if how much <clears> of <throat> the film I'll actually remember, so it's a good job that i take I take notes but you don't. You just you just, you just go right in. So what did you, yeah, what does your freestyle say about, about Say Anything? What did you think?
0: I really enjoyed it, but at the same time, I didn't find it funny, really. I didn't find it particularly emotional, and I didn't find any real kind of attachment to the characters, but at the same time, it was just a really good movie that I just couldn't take my eyes away from it was incredibly captivating and there was just something about the whole feel of the film and the overall plot that i just found fantastic um and i think it was helped by the fact that all of the acting in it is great and like so even though you don't really it's not got the same sort of like peaks that you that say 10 things i hate about you has in terms of comedy elements but it offers the same kind of nuanced characters within that high school setting but just set a decade earlier um so this movie it it came out in 1989 but it feels impossibly 1980s
1: yeah definitely i i would say yeah i I kind of broadly agree with that but it was not what i expected at all i think because it's such a famous film and it's one that often shows up on those kind of best romantic comedies ever kind of lists or um, I think there was some kind of really big magazine thing or Time or IMDB or something that named it the best romantic film of all time so I went into it expecting it to be um, very John Hughes like and very kind of um, like like the John Hughes films so you know Breakfast Club, St Elmo's Fire, Etc. I expected it to be like those, but to somehow have the edge on them romantically, and that there was something about the love story that would really carry it off. And that was, I think, not the case at all. I think um, it was a really, really interesting film from that point of view because I thought it was going to be all about the chase, but it wasn't at all. It was actually a film that I think is a meditation on intimacy. And that actually is quite a rare thing in films, both from the eighties and now. Actually,
0: yeah, I agree. Actually, because because there's not really it 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 breaks down, um, it breaks down romance in a very interesting way for a film like this. In that the reason that Diane gets together with with uh, John Cusack's character, who goes by the name of Lloyd, um, the reason that Diane gets with him is just that she made him laugh.
1: Yeah, that's the only explanation she ever has to give.
0: Yeah, and then once she starts seeing him, he's incredibly easy to be around and she feels comfortable and she feels relaxed and that's just the basis of their relationship at the beginning and there's never really that sort of like, you get a little snippet at the beginning that he really wants to go out with her and that they'd had lunch together kind of once before. Um, But there's no real difficulties to overcome in terms of him starting to see her in a sort of vaguely romantic fashion, although it's a very sort of relaxed atmosphere, it's still there's still those romantic overtones to it. Um, so it's quite it's quite clever the way they did that. And like you said, it's not something that I was necessarily expecting out of it because the the one thing that you even people who haven't seen say anything know is the scene where he's got the boombox over his head and it's playing it's playing Peter Gabriel and it's like yeah that's amazing it's great. But really that that scene in itself doesn't really match with the rest of the tone of the movie and the the most iconic scene of this film kind of reflects it in a more sort of emotional light than the film necessarily is
1: yeah i was incredibly underwhelmed by that scene actually because i what i expected i expected that to be the moment when she comes back to him but it's a complete anticlimax and i think that is deliberate and that they they did that deliberately with all the marketing of it showing him pictures of him holding up that boombox with his his handsome young face Um, and he's holding it up and it looks, yeah, it's just a really iconic image that everyone kind of knows. So when it gets to it, it's like in the middle of a bit where they've essentially broken up and they're not talking and he's trying to get her to come back and he's doing his kind of meditations on the relationship stuff and then he's standing out there. It just kind of cuts to it out of nowhere and he's just standing out there in the rain with the boombox and she's inside, um, just kind of lying on the bed and the Peter Gabriel song plays for a bit and then it's another scene. So, yeah, I was expecting that to be the bit the moment that she kind of rushes back to his arms, but instead it's in a boxing gym
0: <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah it's it's interesting, isn't it that it's it's funny how these these moments of cinema are kind of taken kind of out out of out of sort of um the scene that they're playing in and kind of just thrown into a most iconic moment so I've no real idea about their sort of place in the movie they're in. Um And it happens all the time in movies but the 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 best sort of use of of that scene i 've seen as kind of like a parody fashion is that there's a um there 's a South Park episode where Stan wants to get his girlfriend Wendy back. And someone says, "Oh, yeah, you've got to turn up, and you've got to have a boombox, and you've got to be playing Peter Gabriel." And he does it all, and he's wearing the little coat and everything like that, and he holds up the boombox, and then the the song he's playing is "Shock the Monkey" instead, and like it's one of his <laughs> one of his funky '80s electro songs. It's just like, oh, it's it's so it just feels so out of place. It's hilarious.
1: That's great. I Yeah, I I um, I was reminded of that that it was Peter Gabriel today, and I was going um. I was walking, walking along to work and got flicking through Spotify and looking for Peter Gabriel songs. He's one of those artists who hasn't uploaded any of their stuff to Spotify. But there's like dodgy live versions and weird panpipe cover versions and stuff. So I ended up listening to a, a, a panpipe cover of Sledgehammer. <laughs> like It's got that kind of panpipe on it anyway. But it also has the lead vocal replaced by a panpipe. It's amazing. There's like hundreds of albums of them on Spotify, including one of like all Beatles covers and one of like indie rock songs. It's great. Oh,
0: right. OK. Yeah. pipe uh, music is incredible. In its own. also the um, the lullaby version of songs. So like, yes, played on a played on a xylophone and things like that to, for babies. I saw that there was a nine inch nails xylophone like lullaby album. <laughs> I'm like, no way. I don't really know how the sort of like chord progressions of Nine Inch Nails are nece- necessarily going to transpose over well to a lullaby setup, particularly songs like "Closer."
1: Yeah, or "March of the Pigs," or
0: "March of the Pigs." Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I could see something like "Head Like a Hole," maybe that's got like quite a catchy melody.
0: Ding 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 but... ding 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 ding. Yeah, that could work. Yeah,
1: <laughs> there's um, yeah, there's a double album of like Weezer songs for babies on Spotify. And like when I have kids, they are, they are going to listen to that on repeat <laughs> for sure. That's awesome. But it, um, it in, doesn't in... have "Where's my sex on it.
0: Oh, that's, that's a shame. Was it pre wears my sex?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I, I hope it was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but in general, the soundtrack to this movie is great though. Like I, I'm an unabashed Peter Gabriel fan. I love Peter Gabriel's work. Um, yeah. particularly after he stopped doing stuff with Genesis actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in general, the, the soundtrack is just amazing.
1: Yeah, but um, yeah, I wanted to talk about the soundtrack because again, in my mind, I was comparing this to John Hughes the whole time. And with the John Hughes films, there's always like not just one song that's like the defining song, but there's loads and loads of them. And there weren't actually loads of really famous pop songs from the 80s used in this film. Um, but I feel like all of the, the background music and the incidental music was really, really good. And I think that's down to Cameron Crowe, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it didn't use the music in the same way that a lot of movies do, where you have those big set pieces where the song plays. The only one here is the Peter Gabriel one. Um, But, like, in general, the music just fitted it so well, just being played on the radio in the background or just a little snippet of it here and there. Um, There was so much flange, like, so much flange in the guitar everywhere, which I was totally on board with. Um, But, yeah, it was...
1: Yeah, apart from when... um... It's the girl who's his friend, who's the woman off of The Haunting, whose name I can't remember. Um, who is really, really good, and she's singing the songs about the ex boyfriend on the guitar, and it's electric guitar, and it's not even plugged in. <laughs> and she's just like how- howling away at him. That is that's a great scene. Her character is really, really great. And what's but it's really weird that she's like his quite close friend, and then when um, after he's broken up with Diane, he's recording on the tape um and then he's like talking narrating it to her his friend on the tape and then you're like why is he doing that and then you realize it's because she makes tapes and it's because it's about technology rather than about him wanting to record it for her it's because that was the way she liked it and like recording on tapes was a new thing back then i think that was my interpretation of it anyway
0: yeah that's that's how i thought of it is that that's sort of a way that they kind of would be able to communicate those kind of thoughts to one another and it's kind of like him him doing what she was doing in terms of that cathartic creative expression in a way that he feels comfortable doing it um yeah the friend uh Corey, um is played played by um lily taylor who my, the the most recent thing i remember seeing her in is um the conjuring which is a great horror movie that came out a few years back um like a,
1: Is it great as in actually great or like great as in it's bad and it's good?
0: No, great as in actually great. It does the old, good old fashioned exorcism movie set in the 70s based on a true story with air quotes around it. Um, but it's it's perfectly done. It's wonderfully shot. It's incredibly scary. Um, and she's great. She plays the mother of the family that's being followed by this evil spirit basically. Um, and it's sort of it's it's a movie that kind of set off the horror revival that we've seen over recent years um so before that uh, yeah before that there was a few films that are kind of kind of done that sort of thing um but um strangely enough um it's directed by james wan who did saw um which was kind of which is kind of seen as like the beginning of the horrible torture porn era um but then he kind of killed off the horrible torture porn era um by then creating these quite scary good old fashioned horror movies starting with insidious and the conjuring um although since his next movie though is going to be the aquaman movie which which i which i doubt is going to include either torture porn or scary poltergeists
1: no it's nice to know that people who are responsible for shit trends can move on from them and, you know, do great work in the future. So maybe whichever kind of global conglomerate is behind vaping will move on from vaping and on to just making delicious hot dogs or something. Yeah, that would be good.
0: Because I, I, the one thing that gets me is that Saw is a much better movie than the horrible torture scenes allow for it. So it's got quite a clever plot. It's got a it's got a very good twist. But then because it was so popular, then people started doing horrible movies like Hostel and things like that that are just purely about people committing horrible acts of violence on one another. Um, and he kind of immediately stepped away from doing those kind of movies and kept more with the sort of twisty horror drama side and then eventually just managed to kill off torture movies altogether, which is very nice of him.
1: Yes. Well done to you, sir.
0: Well done. Well done, James Wan. Now make us a good aquaman movie.
1: Yeah. I remember um seeing Saw and thinking it was all right as well. But um I did want to mention Lily Taylor and the Haunting because that was um one I think one of the first horror or ghost films that I ever saw and it came out when we were, must have been what 12 or 13 and I remember watching it at school having not really seen many films like that and being like really terrified and freaked out by it but kind of still knowing that it was it was a bit shit at the same time. And then later on, when you see like a good horror film, you're like, okay, yeah, this is what it's supposed to be like.
0: Yeah, whatever your, what, yeah, whatever the, um, whatever the uh, the first horror movie you see is, it kind of immediately imprints on you that, like, as your first scary movie experience. Um, so even when you can sort of tell, oh, this is a bit rubbish, because that's that's the one that also has Owen Wilson in it, isn't it? Um, where he has some, yeah, and and Catherine Zeta Jones. Because um, have you ever seen the um, the original movie of The Haunting? It's 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 really good, um, like amazing old fashioned horror movie. Um, and then yeah, so when they made when they made this this. Um, this remake of it with terrible cgi and like cheesy acting everyone in the horror community was a bit cringy with it um but but it's still one of those movies that has i I quite like those kind of era of films where you had these kind of vaguely trashy horror films um that were a bit shit but still really enjoyable at the same time so things like anaconda as well um which are all just so much fun to watch Tremors, Tremors is great. I think Tremors is is one of my one of those movies that I could watch at any time and enjoy it. Which there's not too many like that. RoboCop, Tremors. Um, that's I don't know what other movies those two.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one, actually, with films. I mean, yeah, I, I could name you kind of like music albums that you could always come back to. But with films, yeah, you I always want to leave a bit of time before watching them. You know, I can't think of any film that I could put on, like, even if I'd watched it, like really recently. Like, yeah, I'm sure there are probably some films where if you went to be, let's watch this right now, if I'd seen it, I'd still be like, okay, yeah, let's watch it. But yeah, you're, you're right. Actually, there are not many films that have that kind of quality. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones. Predator. The Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Predator oh, would be yeah. a good
1: one. Classic.
0: Um because that's that's always that's always good to watch. Hercules the, the, in New the, York the number of one liners. <laughs> Hercules in New York. Um Disney's Aladdin <laughs> is another is oh, another great one. So good.
1: Yeah Disney's um are ones that we often return to. You know Claire's a big Disney fan and we have a lot of them on DVD. Often on it's often a Sunday afternoon film as well so like yeah i'll be doing some ironing or whatever we'll put on one of the disney films yeah those those get a regular rotation for sure could we get away with talking about aladdin on here we probably could it's romantic
0: yeah maybe maybe we could do sort of like a a disney episode where we talk about general disney traits or we pick a few disney movies to watch in advance and talk about
1: them Um, I think that I think that's a really good really good idea yeah we could watch four or five or have some kind of some kind of Disney off and try and argue about making a top five or top 10 or something that'd be great
0: yeah no I think I think maybe that's a plan for a future but for now we have say anything
1: yeah so yeah let me let me look back up my notes so yeah when it opens it still kind of implies that it's going to be about the chase it opens like straight into a scene where he's talking to his friends about about her and like her eyes and stuff and it's kind of cheesy um, but you're getting into it, and they keep... The friends all keep saying his name, Lloyd, like, over and over and over again. It's like they're trying to imprint it on the memory of you as the person watching the film, that, like, he's Lloyd. It's important that you know he's Lloyd, because Lloyd is Lloyd, and he's he's a Lloyd character. And it's, like, trying to build the character through that way, like he has some kind of reputation. Um, and, yeah, he's talking to them about this girl, and then it goes to her weird, like... Like graduation speech so you think it's just going to be a high school chase but immediately you're at the very end of high school and they're in they're in there and it's the end and you thought maybe he's going to take her to the prom but you know no he doesn't take her to the prom he takes her well first of all he has to call her up and that yeah that the idea of having to like call someone's house and their parents and ask them if they're there that would just like fill me with complete and utter dread like I don't think I would ever have gotten a girlfriend if I was around back then because that idea is just the worst thing that I could possibly imagine
0: <laughs> yeah I I agree it's yeah it's just something that immediately fills you with dread doesn't it um the the one thing that I really liked about this movie and something that I thought of immediately was that it, it reverses the role of the evil dad in a rom-com. So like at the beginning, he's all, he's totally fine with Lloyd and totally fine with her sort of like seeing boys. Um, Because when, uh, when Lloyd phones up, he's like, hello, is, is your daughter home? And things like that. Um, He's like, Oh, are you the one in the in the red Chevy? Uh, Oh, are you the one in in the black Ford? That kind of thing. So it's clear that she sees a few people outside of um, outside of high school. Um, And then like having never known this boy before and having never spoken to him on the phone, he's quite sort of like happy to chat with him a little bit. And they've got that little back and forth between them. And then when they do start seeing each other, he's totally fine with it, um, which I thought was quite nice. And it's only as his personal struggles get worse and worse, and he thinks about what pressure that is putting on his ideas for Diane's future, that he kind of s- starts standing in the way of their relationship.
1: Yeah, he's—I mean—he's a really interesting character overall from that point of view. And there, yeah, the story it stops becoming about their romance and actually ends up becoming about her relationship with her dad, which, again, I didn't see coming, did not expect at all. But it definitely makes it a very strong, very interesting film, an angle that you don't get in romantic films at the same time that makes you question those kind of parental relationships and stuff and that kind of was he, is he like a genuine like evil tax-avoiding bastard or was he kind of doing it all for her? And they didn't go too deep. Or they didn't really push the idea that he was doing it all for her because it was kind of, it was implicit, but they could have gone a lot harder on that. And the fact that they didn't allows it to be more nuanced and complex than it might have been otherwise, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, you know what you need to know from it. You don't need to know to the extent that he was doing this because all that matters is the fact that he was doing it in the first place and that it's broken that sanctity that, he and diane had in terms of them sharing things together and that sort of implicit trust between the two of them um and that's what the real sort of crime is emotionally in the film um is that he's broken that trust with his daughter as opposed to the fact that he's scamming old people out of money
1: yeah that's almost worse you know the old people don't seem to mind they seem pretty cheerful they seem pretty chipper about it don't they
0: yeah i i think it's a very horrible thing to do but um but you're right in that he... Because he makes this point that he is providing them with a really good level of care and that he's making their last few years incredibly comfortable and making them happy and things like that. And what he's doing is absolutely abhorrent. But um, but it sort of shows that even the reasons that he's doing it for, or that he's allegedly doing it for, are deeply flawed because she is repulsed by what he's been doing and repulsed by the fact that he's been doing it without her knowing about it
1: yeah definitely and he's he's got this thing about wanting her to admit that she's special and he keeps going on and on at her like why won't you just admit that you're special which seems quite weird and pathological and strange um but then as the more and more of his criminal character emerges you think okay it's really about that and about trying to invest in in his daughter and almost live vicariously through her, but also through the jukebox that's in his house. Yeah. And then, yeah, so he, like, at the, early on in their relationship, he invites Lloyd round to dinner, like, with his accountant or something, which is a really weird scene. And that's when the, the um, IRS guys show up. But it's like, why would you invite... In round for dinner with the accountant, I didn't. Uh, that, I found that that really, really strange. Whether that was supposed to be a setup for the IRS so that Lloyd could be there to witness that or whatever, I don't know. But that, yeah, that scene was very, very strange.
0: Yeah, is, uh, and and there's a few kind of odd scenes in the movie and things that kind of like they add a lot of sort of like flavor to it without really doing much to progress things. Um, so like um, when they go to the party together, for instance and um and they get separated um so the person who's holding the party takes diane away and it's like oh i'm so pleased you came here while um well lloyd has become the key master or the key holder or whatever <laughs> i it did is. not know so that, that was the thing no and I, I love that little little snippet of like american high school party life that they threw in there i thought that was really funny um and and like key master woo! And and like that 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 added a lot of sort of like context, and it did quite a lot for their characters because it showed that Lloyd was like, when he needed to, he could be an incredibly responsible and adult person, um, without it impacting on him and him becoming petulant and things like that. Which I think sort of endeared him more to the to the audience because at, at the beginning you're like, oh okay, so he's a kind of kind of waister type, kind of drifter type, who doesn't really know what he wants to do in his life um so there's going to be some massive conflict between him and her because she's so driven um but it shows from the off that he's got this nicer kind of side to him and he's got this kind of like um more subtlety to his personality than you initially think um but at the same time that the whole thing didn't really do anything for the plot apart from they get separated for like five seconds and then they hang out again and like that whole thing where
1: he and then there's the guy who dresses up as a chicken and
0: yes the rooster
1: yeah <laughs> it's um i think it's a cameron Crow thing i think he really really loves a good party scene like if you think about his other films like almost famous and what, what else has he done cameron crow singles have not seen we're going to talk about that at some point
0: he directed the the crow as well the i think crow.
1: you know because it had his name
0: yeah. in it i don't think that had Minus any big the... party scenes in it um <laughs> Had a very big party scene if you're a, if you're a horrible person. Um, <laughs> yeah, we can get away with watching The Crow as part of the part of our, our Halloween celebration. Definitely, I'd
1: really like to see it again. Actually, I haven't watched it since um, school, but I remember really liking it at the time.
0: Yeah. Um, so he did. He did Vanilla Sky as well. Never seen it. Um, and uh, and Jerry Maguire.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, That's. With, right. it's,
0: uh, I've. I've not seen it in a while, but as I remember, it's about really determined art collectors who are shouting Show me the Monet, at each other. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I I haven't seen that in a long time either. Is that the one with um You Can't Handle the Truth?
0: No, that's um uh that's a few good men. Oh yeah, that's oh, right. Which which we which we definitely <laughs> wouldn't be able to get away with watching for this podcast. No. Um he um, also he also directed um I've got a thing about watching Unbelievable box office bombs, and seeing if they deserve it or not. Mm. And he directed Elizabeth Town.
1: Oh, I is like a that film.
0: Romantic. I love Elizabeth Town. I think it's incredibly yeah. underrated. Um, in fact, I think I I requested for it to be added to our watch list. Um, you did, yeah. And it, and it, yeah. And it, and it totally, absolutely, one hundred percent bombed. It cost a load of money to make because of the cast, and then it fell apart at the box office, and everybody hated it. But it I think it's really good
1: i I did not know that it was a bomb,
0: yeah, I think it's really good, um, and I don't really understand why everybody hated it so i like quite look forward to rewatching it and see where it fell apart but like like other movies that I like that are massive box office bombs are. Uh, have I ever shown you Death to Smoochie?
1: Yes, I thought that was great, it was hilarious,
0: yeah, which is a which is a great movie it's um a dark comedy about um kids tv industry directed by danny devito um this is for the uh, any of the listeners out there who don't know about this movie because you probably don't um and um basically robin williams is a kids tv presenter who gets caught up in this massive uh, sting where he's de- getting kids to pay over the odds to get preferential treatment when they come on his show um, and he gets sacked off, and the kids' network decides they need a really, really clean, nice person to take over. So they find this guy called – this this character called Smoochie the Rhino, who's played by Edward Norton, who's sort of like – he spends his time going to, like, meth labs uh, – meth meth centres and is, like, singing to addicts, trying to help get them off off the drugs and things like that. And it's all about his sort of, like, bizarre journey – through this hideously corrupt industry run by the Irish mob Um, and whilst Robin Williams tries to sabotage his career and it's absolutely hilarious but also incredibly dark at the same time and it's a great film and it made zero money and everybody hated it when it came out even though it's absolutely wonderful.
1: I remember that um, having just seen it the one time at your house a few years ago I remember that as being a sensationally funny film like I was Rolling on the floor laughing.
0: It's it's so good. Can we get away with watching Death to Smoochie? It's got romance in it.
1: I reckon I reckon so, yeah. Yeah, let's let's
0: do it. Let's do it. Death to Smoochie. Yeah. On when did list. it come out? Uh it was early two thousands,
1: I think. Alright, yeah. Seems about that time. Edward Norton relatively young, but I feel like it was after keeping the faith, which is my kind of Edward Norton watershed film.
0: I wonder if it was before or after American History X, because that was the first thing that I remember seeing him in. Mm. Um,
1: that's a gore fest.
0: It was after American... Um, yeah, that's a horrible movie. It was after American History X and after Fight Club.
1: After Fight Club. All right. Elizabeth Talon. I, I had never heard of it. Um, and then Claire and I watched it together. She had it on DVD um, very, very early on in our relationship. And I remember really, really liking it and it being a film that we watched together and enjoyed together so i have a bit of nostalgia f- about it around it from that point of view but i thought it was a great film great cast and yeah a really good look at the kind of dealing with death and hometowns and that kind of thing it's been a while since i've seen it as well so that's definitely due a rewatch but i didn't know it was a bomb that's that's really really interesting
0: yeah it, it it for for our listeners it's the funniest movie you'll ever see that includes someone making a suicide machine for themselves
1: <laughs> yes that's very very true um, but yeah, so this was um, Say Anything was Cameron Crowe's directorial debut after a number of years as a Rolling Stone journalist and I think it's a, it's a pretty solid debut but yeah, I, I feel like he, he really, really loves a good long like rock and roll party scene and that he just kind of had to chuck it in because it's all about his um his own experiences of going to rock and roll parties and I'm sure he would have been a key master at some point. So the, the detail of that party was enjoyable enough, I think, to carry it through, even though it didn't really necessarily serve the plot that much. It's kind of a weird first date. And can we talk about the dress that she wears to that party as well? Yeah. It's like yeah. a sort of really bad wedding dress, it's like white and pure and strange.
0: Yeah, it's... It's it's incredibly overdressed for for this high, raucous high school party,
1: and it's that they um, they call her a pris, priss, P R I W S, and that's such a it's kind of a strange word that people don't really use anymore. There, some of the language in this has is dated very strangely as well. Like there's the scene where they're wa- <laughs> walking home, and she goes, "I've never gone out with anyone as basic as you." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And then your immediate thought goes to the modern use of the word basic. And you're like, okay.
1: Yeah. But then she's talking to her dad about it and she realizes that it's an error. Um, and she goes, oh, I've ruined it. I called him basic. <laughs> and you're like, yes, definitely would have ruined it if it was basic in today's today's parlance. But it meant, I think what she meant was trying to get at the part of Lloyd's character that was there but not overdone in a way that I expected it to be, which is that he's kind of a bit of a slacker or an underachiever. Um, um, whereas I, I feel like a film that was released later on that would have made him a complete loser and her like a huge press. And then the whole story is like the the gulf of how those two, how the gulf between those two people and how they get together. But, and a lot of the, the kind of posters or the marketing about Say Anything, or if you read like, plot summaries or whatever, it'll say that, oh, Lloyd, he's a classic underachiever. But I didn't get that impression about him at all. I think I felt like he was just a guy coming out of high school who didn't really know what he wanted to do. Whose parents were away because they were in the military, who was, you know, looking after and playing with his nephew and also his sister, his real sister in real life, played his sister in the film, which was great. Um, and, you know, he's doing some kickboxing. He's then decides he's going to be a kickboxing guy, and that's fine. It's like, why does everyone have to be some kind of huge achievement maybe not everyone wants to go to college maybe not everyone wants those kind of scholarships and actually i guess that was kind of the point of downplaying that aspect of his character but still having it there but it's interesting i thought that that's the part of his character that seems to be brought out a lot more in the the marketing of the film
0: yeah and and what i what i um what one thing that i did find when i was watching it and particularly when i was watching that um that high school scene at the end where she gives her speech and everything like that um, at the end of high school rather, is um how much it resonated with how we felt when we were leaving university. Is this like is this like you guys are screwed when you get out into the real world. And like it's a movie all about pressures on young people to excel in life, which is another thing that our generation particularly felt all the way through their education. Is you have to go out and you have to change the world. Um is you have those huge levels of expectation. I wonder if there's been this kind of, whether it's always been that way since the 1980s or whether the 1980s was an area where you had that particular peak of people having those pressures put on them at the same time and and young people realising that there were things they would not be able to achieve once they left the educational system...
1: Yeah, I think it's a lot to do with the differences between the American college system and our system, which is that at that, that time in the US, you already had to pay a lot of money to go to college. Whereas I think in 89, it was pro- it was still free to go to university in the UK. So for us, it's easy to think of that as a, a more recent thing. But in the US, those pressures, pressures I think, have been there for longer and been worse and more pronounced as well. But yeah, that resonated with us kind of catching up with that, I think, as well. Definitely.
0: Um but yeah I think it's a film where um it has a lot of has a lot of truths in it but it doesn't overplay any of them so it really feels like this little snapshot of these characters lives um in a really interesting way um so like you said all he 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 quite um succinctly uh explains what he wants out of life and he's like I don't want to Buy or sell or produce anything. I don't want to sell anything that's being produced. I don't want to buy anything that's being produced that kind of thing um and he he just wants to sort of do something pure with his life um and it's 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 quite it it manages to sort of bring about those feelings of wanting to do something outside of sort of like the default as it were um which I thought it did in a very compelling way.
1: Definitely. I kind of like I punched my fist in the air when he said that he he had that little mini speech about um, I don't want to buy th- things. I don't want to sell things or whatever, because it was a really kind of um, nakedly anti-capitalist, anti-neoliberal message embedded in that film. And I was like, yes, yes, that's what we need Re- up the revolution. <laughs> um, and then following on from that, there's a bit where he's, he's talking to the dad and the dad's like, what do you want to do with your life? Her dad. And he says, what I want to do for a living is be with your daughter. <laughs> and that's quite an adorable line, actually. And I think it's that kind of his devotion to her in that sense is perhaps the, the reason that people think that it's a super romantic film and that, that it's endured in as a as a romantic film, do you reckon?
0: I think so, yeah, because he does show all of these little things that make him a very suitable emotional partner to someone. Um so so Diane's explaining that he he on their first date, he sort of um made her aware of glass on the floor, floor and was like oh you should walk around this way and things like that um and there's all these little these little moments in it where he writes that letter to her that's a very sweet letter even though it causes a lot of trouble with the father um and it's it, it once again there's no big things that sort of say lloyd is a great boyfriend but at the same time, there's all these little snippets of him being incredibly kind and generous without expecting anything in return apart from just being with her, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And just enjoying that relaxed time with her.
1: Yeah. He's, there's a, a line that I, I wrote down that that sort of encapsulates that quite well, which is when he's talking to um, his douchebag male friends about it. He says, when we'd go out, we didn't even have to go out. Um so it's like he was he's very, very adjusted to just being with her, whereas so many romantic films become about sort of huge unattainable ideals and putting people on pedestals um, and don't explore the, what it's like to to just be with someone. And to, that for rom- that romance is contained in intimacy and just being with someone and spending time with someone um, and that that's the most important thing. And I actually I found that incredibly refreshing and I, I liked that a lot
0: yeah yeah it does a lot of things that you wouldn't necessarily expect um and it does them in such a relaxed way that it just it just shows off that it doesn't need those tropes to succeed and in it and then through create bizarrely through through releasing this movie it then kind of created the these odd kind of tropes that weren't really understood by future filmmakers
1: yeah it's it's interesting i suppose that then it, yeah it, a lot of um the those tropes were in this film, but subtly, and that it might have influenced people further down the line. I didn't, that didn't really occur to me at the time, but I guess that's, I guess that's totally true. Yeah. What what another thing that I found interesting was that all his friends are women. And then after they break up, he has the scene where he goes, I should spend more time with guys. And then he goes to like his sort of sort of guy friends and they are a bunch of absolute future men's rights activists and he like, and they are all absolutely awful. And it goes down the line and they're all like <laughs> whining about their girlfriends or ex-girlfriends. And then it gets to a 12 year old kid who says bitches or something. And then it's outrageous. And then, yeah, he's like, they're obviously really douchey and stupid. And they're like rapping in the background while he's trying to talk. And they're really rubbish at it. And then he drives away admitting that that was like a huge mistake, which I think is a good um yeah. a very very positive and refreshing look that you don't expect from an 80s film either about um men and women just being friends as well because obviously that that was explored in a different way in when Harry met Sally not um not long after and yeah for that to have been part of it as well is is also a good kind of pos- positive message uh, that's there's also about intimacy between men and women as well and men and women can be intimate friends without having to have sex or having to be in a relationship and also that often male friendship is base and and devolves into lad humor and that that isn't something to be strived for it doesn't celebrate that in any way but it's not hugely down on it either
0: yeah it just kind of shows it as it is really um maybe sort of like making it look a little like a little bit of a caricature of how it can be, but at the same time, it can often be like that, particularly around men that feel as though they've been scorned um and um yeah so it's 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 a it's a very good movie it's a very relaxing movie to watch as you watch it, you feel relaxed um and it has a really great final scene as well um where they're on the plane um going to england um. And it's 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 wonderful.
1: It's a very very good scene because but the, the scene before that, they're visiting the dad in prison, and she almost she, at first you think she's not even going to come in at all, and then she doesn't. She says to the dad, um, "I don't know what to say to you except goodbye," and then she leaves with Lloyd, which and that would have been such a powerful line. So part of me wanted the film to end right there, and that would have been a really great cut. But then the last scene. Um of them together on the plane she's she's scared of flying, and he's just kind of gently comforting her and I can't even remember what was said or what was done or whatever in that scene, but it's about them just being together as we've just said it's kind of it's the perfect way to encapsulate the fact that they're just together and they're intimate and they're in a relationship and that's and that's romantic, and that's a great way to end it i thought,
0: yeah, it was great and and um we watched we watched la la land. And um, Lloyd's character is basically the kind of character that would have been needed in that film for the relationship to survive. Um, And he's he's the kind of person who's willing to put whatever he wants aside in order to make sure the other person is as, as happy as possible um so he's got that kind of level of dedication that you didn't get from either of the cast of la la land and it's one of those things i was thinking at the end is where he's sort of reassuring her and he's like oh wow he's moving to another country to be with her um and it's 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 great it show it 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 just works so incredibly well they're their sort of like dynamic between them
1: and that's one of the main problems with la la land is that it's their egos that get in the way and kind of ruin the relationship and you just think a bit, oh for fuck's sake." Just, just try hard,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly, and and you just want to bang their heads together a little bit and like just just stop being so dramatic. One of you can go and become a kickboxing coach,
1: yeah, which is quite a cool job, that's all right,
0: it is, it's a cool job,
1: yeah, and that's what's really nice about that is that it's a relatively niche thing, and he feels the need to keep saying you know it's it's an up and coming sport, whatever, I feel like it's probably bigger now than it was then, probably few people even knew what kickboxing was in nineteen eighty nine but um yeah, it's really nice that there's obviously he's seized upon a thing that he really, really likes, but that doesn't have to become an all-consuming passion. But it's nice to know that he is someone who is passionate about something and does pursue things that interest him as well. Because and then that that shows you that he's not a passive person, even though he's quite easygoing and just wants to be with her. He still does have things that he cares about as well and does have drive.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I could actually really see um, like a version of La La Land if it was made in the eighties with the the two leads from Say Anything. I think that'd be amazing. John Cusack is the jazz pianist. <laughs>
0: yeah, jazz. It's uh, it's not an up and coming genre. It's dying on its ass. But I like it.
1: <laughs> yeah, because he's usually a bit more sardonic than that. John Cusack. You know, if you think of High Fidelity and all, some of his other classic performances, is a bit more of an embittered person or perhaps typecast as that a little bit so i think he could have he could have done the embitteredness of ryan gosling's character in la la land quite well actually i reckon
0: yeah i think he could as well and um It's funny because he has been, he does play that character often in his movies and sort of like, so his, his perception based on movies like High Fidelity, where he plays
1: my namesake. I know. um, And um, can't believe it's taken us eight episodes to get to talking about that. I know. (laughs) You must be. So I remember actually at university, probably people saying that to you all the time and it probably being incredibly irritating. It,
0: It wasn't incredibly irritating, but it did come up a lot. Actually, people being like, oh yeah, like in High Fidelity. It's like, yeah. Um. Although I often was like, "Oh, but in the book, he's not got that name."
1: Yeah, I was about to say that his name's something else in the book.
0: And then the um, he he plays almost exactly the same kind of character in Gross Point Blank, which I don't know if you've ever seen.
1: Yeah, yeah, we should talk about that. That's it's a strange, interesting film.
0: That's a that's an a, a spy assassin thriller meets rom com about this international assassin who goes back for a high school reunion.
1: Yeah, I remember. Yeah, just thinking from that point of view that there's kind of too many plot things that's a bit goofy, but I still remember it being entertaining.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's all over the place, but kind of in a good way. Um, it, it's yeah, it's it's um, that's an interesting one, and and like one of those things about about John Cusack is although now he's sort of like he's he's not seen as a bit of a sort of like b-lister but he's very sort of he hasn't been in any sort of like great movies for a while um but but for some for for a while he was actually picking out these great films to be in that that really suited his traits as an actor incredibly well um and like so in the in the 80s and 90s he was a really big pull for sort of like kind of quirky romantic movies in particular
1: Yeah, I think he's a really, really great actor. Um, And I'd like for him to have a sort of later life elder statesman renaissance. And I I feel like he probably will if he just gets cast in one really good film where he's playing someone who's 50, but is a really, really good and nuanced 50-year-old character that is going to be really, really good. But yeah, I I can't remember something I've seen him in in even the last five or ten years.
0: See, he's great in... Have you seen Hot Tub Time Machine?
1: I have not. I've been meaning to watch that for a long time. It looks... It's awful in the best way. It, it
0: yeah, it looks awful but it basically just it subverts itself in the best way possible. So it kind of follows the same traits as the 21 jump street remake. Okay. Where it like, it knows exactly what people expect from the movie and kind of just flips it on its head. And it kind of just messes around with expectations and it's, it's very self referential referential and um, it really plays on sort of like the eighties stereotypes as well. Cause they get in this hot tub and it sends them back to the 1980s kind of thing. Um, the one thing that, that, Um, he's been in recently that I really want to see but that I haven't seen is Maps to the Stars which is supposed to be a sort of
1: I have not heard of that
0: it's directed by David Cronenberg who's one of my favourite directors um, who sort of he moved from doing body horror incredible body horror movies like The Fly onto doing very grim dramas like A History of Violence and Eastern Promises and now kind of he's been doing sort of vaguely satirical looks at life in Hollywood among the rich and famous so he did a movie called um called Maps of the Stars which has uh John Cusack in and I think it's all about these people who live in Hollywood who are desperate to become celebrities and it's supposed to be really amazing but quite grim at the same time in a way that you kind of expect from the director who's like renowned for creating grotesque films like Videodrome and Scanners and things like that um, and and I've heard his performance in that is very good. So I'd be quite interested to see whether that will lead to some kind of resurgence in him being in these more sort of like artistically interesting movies.
1: Interesting. So it's like the it's like the anti La La Land. Look at L A.
0: Yes, yeah. Which which it, it, I think I said in the La La Land episode. It's something that I'm always very interested in looking at. Is these the movies that kind of mess with what people think about about. You know the LA lifestyle and the Hollywood lifestyle and things
1: like that. The stardom, yes, yeah. The um, the only other thing I wanted to talk about was the the woman who plays Diane. Um, I think her name is Iona Skye. and um, she was only nineteen at the time of the film. So that's pretty pretty good work. But um, she was married to um, Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys for most of the nineties, which I had no idea about.
0: Yeah, because uh, I. I because I was wondering because she's great in this film and I was thinking oh why wasn't she in more stuff afterwards that I've seen and like aside from like the only other thing that I've looked I've looked through sort of like the things she's been in and the only thing that really sort of speaks out to me is that she's in Wayne's World the original Wayne's World and she has a, a really small cameo in it yeah and i and sort of reading up on it, it seems as though because she was married to, um, to the guy from the Beastie Boys and kind of traveled with them and everything, it kind of impacted on her career quite heavily um,
1: yeah yeah, which is really really interesting because I, I love the Beastie Boys' it's one of my favorite acts, and I wouldn't have thought that ad Rock would have allowed her career to, to fall by the wayside, but maybe maybe that was why they ended up getting divorced.
0: Yeah, maybe or it might be that she wanted just to just to be with them. Maybe she although her character was the driven one and say anything, maybe in real life she was more happy to actually be with someone that she loved um at the expense of her own her own career. I don't really I, I don't know enough about it. Um but I thought that was quite interesting because she's she's very very good in this film.
1: Yeah. Like you in the way that you would have thought she would have gone on to like future stardom.
0: Yeah. But but a lot of those um those '80s, '80s female teen leads don't seem to have reached the heights that people expected of them. So Molly Ringwald, as well, who was huge in the 1980s.
1: Yeah, I was going to say Molly Ringwald, um, who also dated Ad Rock for a brief period before he got married to Iona Sky. Yeah, he's 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 been around. Oh right,
0: okay, <laughs> yes. Um. And yeah so it's it's interesting that that a lot of the male leads of the time um managed to sort of like pursue these huge careers afterwards.
1: And yeah if you look at like um, the John Hughes ones as well like like the Breakfast Club people I think just about know who Molly Ringwald is but you, you don't know about any of the others anymore probably I mean Emilio Estevez he's he's done okay I think but
0: yeah Emilio Estevez has done well um but yeah it's uh, and, and then sort of like other big movies from the 80s. You've got like um, Kevin Bacon, who made a big name for himself.
1: And now does those fucking EE adverts. <laughs>
0: so annoying. Uh, I will not hear a bad word about the star of Tremors, though. Kevin Bacon can do no wrong with me. He's he's fantastic.
1: Um, That's his peak. Peak Bacon.
0: <laughs> Uh, he's Kevin Bacon, I think, is a really great actor as well, and I wish he was in more things. Um, yeah, definitely. And he's another one of those actors who just... He's just great in whatever he's in. He just makes it infinitely greater just by being in it. He
1: resonates greatness. Bacon is great, and not just the meat. <laughs> yeah. Well, everything bacon is good. Yes, yeah. Um, the only other thing... I'd seen Iona Sky and was Arrested Development. Oh, was she in Arrested... I, I
0: watched an odd bit of Arrested Development,
1: but not really. Oh, uh, it's it's sensational. I think it, the latest seasons aren't so good, but the first two or three are really, really good. Um, and there's Michael Cera and his kind of on-and-off girlfriend. And Iona Sky plays the girlfriend's mum. The girlfriend is played by May Whitman. I don't know if you know her. She was in um, Scott Pilgrim. She's doing quite well now and did some teen movies and that but yeah um, to, um Iona Sky played her played the mum in Arrested Development really good quite small but very very good performance in that as well so she said she's been in a few things but definitely deserved I think to be a lot bigger off the back of say anything yeah
0: because the other big female teenage star from the 80s that I can think of is uh, Phoebe Cates who was in the likes of Gremlins and Fast Times at Ridgemont High who also didn't go on to really do very much after after those films, um, and it's 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 interesting that none of them really seem to have made it very big afterwards. It's yeah, it's a it's an odd one.
1: I haven't seen Fast Times at Ridgemont Hive. That was Cameron Crowe's first writing credit, so he didn't direct it, but he did write it, and that was before Say Anything. So we should get to talking about that sometime and assessing the party scenes.
0: Yeah, definitely. So so how many? how many keys in the keymaster's bag
1: <laughs> out of out of 20 i i'm going to give it a okay 17 i'd say i feel like yeah it was it was pretty solid pretty enjoyable i don't think i would like rush to watch it again but if it came on again i'd, I'd be happy to see it again it's pretty yeah it was pretty good and like i said i i really really liked that it wasn't it was atypical and that the romance in it was to do with intimacy and the way it explored intimacy and just being with people. That part of it I actually really, 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 really loved as well. So, yeah, there was a a lot to like about it. It was good. How about you?
0: Yeah, I'd I'd give it a 16 keys in the Keymaster's bag out of 20. Um, Again, for the same reasons as you, is I went into this movie with expectations that were not met and in the best possible way. Um, it didn't meet those expectations. It really went down a path I wasn't expecting, and um, it was great. And I I loved it. And I loved every character in it, even even the nasty bastard who's stealing money from from old people. I thought it, the whole movie was just perfectly perfectly paced and perfectly cast. It was yeah, really good.
1: It definitely des- deserves its place in the 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 romantic films canon for sure.
0: Yeah. Definitely.
1: Cool. So I just have one more bit of La La Land follow up and then we can never talk about it again. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> uh, a friend of the podcast, Killian Curran, tweeted us on Twitter. He sent us this article from The Hollywood Reporter about the, the dance scene that I mentioned earlier, where the, it's in the sunrise. Um, they shot it in... They did, did just four takes, um, two two early mornings um, in a row um, and did four takes of it like the whole way through. So I think they might have spliced a couple of them together but yeah, for the most part, it was done in in um, all done in one take. So I think that's a little bit impressive, even if some of the overdubbed vocals, as you highlighted, were a little bit off.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's. It, I think visually, it was a it was a really well put together movie, um, and it's interesting to see how they made it behind the scenes. Definitely.
1: Yeah, I I always enjoy finding out about those kind of things. So it's your choice next. It is, and as. Um,
0: I'm basically using John Cusack's hot tub time machine. So we use this time machine to go back to the 1980s already. And I'm I'm putting some extra bubble into the jets. Um, And I'm going to take us back to the 1960s to watch Barefoot in the Park.
1: Oh, okay. I've never heard of this one.
0: Um, It is a sweet romantic comedy um, based on a play um, by Neil Simon. And at least I think it's based on the play by Neil Simon. I mean, he certainly wrote it and I think it was based off a play that he'd done. Um starring the handsome the most handsome man in the world, Robert Redford, and Jane Fonda.
1: Oh yes. And it's 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 Excellent. it's really
0: good. So well I think it's really good. We'll find out
1: what you think of it. I, I do like Robert Redford. I think he's very, very good. He's great, yeah. Cool. That's that's a really um, good Yeah, so
0: that's that's my choice.
1: Kind of quite quite left field choice. We're going, going properly properly old school. That's great.
0: Yeah, because we, cause we've, we've stuck around the noughties and the 90s and we've just put our, put our big toe into the 80s. So I figured let's try and cover some classic romantic times and go back to the 60s. All
1: right. Well, this has been the Big Boys Don't Cry podcast. Um, if you like it or if there's anything you want to tell us, anything you want to shout at us, email us at bigboysdontcrypodcast at com or tweet us at bigboysdontpod. Always love to hear from you, obviously. How else are we going to find out about the little behind-the-scenes stuff on La La Land? Maybe there'll be some facts you know about Say Anything. Or you want to tell us what your favourite song to blast out of a boombox in the rain is. Tell us.
0: Yeah, what what would be your boombox song?
1: My boombox jam? Where's my sex?
0: (laughs) Where's my sex?
1: (laughs) I can't even remember how it goes. It's that bad. Uh, i
0: i i i I, I, i'm i'm trying to think of how where's my sex goes and i i don't know all i've got is beverly hills by Weezer stuck in my head um but just with them singing where's my sex where is my sex where's my sex
1: (laughs) actually i'll tell you what my my jam would be, it'd be the clip of you from the last episode singing, you come to me on the day of <laughs> my daughter's wedding <laughs> which like that little snippet keeps popping into my head it's like an earworm <laughs> I'm very it's pleased
0: like... to know that it made such a big impression baddie.
1: Yeah. I feel like it means that we do actually need to pursue the idea of making a musical out of the Godfather, but I... that also means that I'll have to watch the Godfather <laughs>
0: You know, we've got to make these sacrifices, Paddy. Yeah, this is true. In the, in the name of great musical theatre,
1: you have to suffer for your art.
0: <laughs> exactly, or we'll put a horse's head in your bed.
1: <laughs> yeah. I put a horse's head on your bed. See, this, this shit writes itself. <laughs> it does. It does. This is this is what we're gonna we're gonna spend all the money off of, all the millions we'll make off of sensations. We'll then plow into making the musical of the Godfather. So even if it's a disaster, we'll still have the cash. So it'll be fine.
0: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. It'll be great. Definitely.
1: I feel like it's a bulletproof plan, though. I mean, who wouldn't want to see a musical of the Godfather?
0: I know it would. It would cover all our demographics because you'd have you'd have male people who love the movie. As we learn, all men love the Godfather. All men love the and Godfather, they'll be, and they'll be all like, "Oh, the Godfather on stage—that's going to be amazing." And then we also get the musical demographic. You want to go see a great musical number, um, and a thing, and we can sort of like frame it that it's like West Side Story because it's about gangs.
1: Yeah, so it's hard. And
0: I'll be like, this is this is the this is the bad boys West Side Story kind of thing.
1: Yeah, West Side Story for hard nuts.
0: Yeah, yeah. West Side Story doesn't have to suck.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm just like we we can get an endorsement from someone really hard like Ross Kemp.
0: Yeah, we'll get we'll get um Ross Kemp or um we'll get Arnold Schwarzenegger to be like, "Yeah. This is this is the best musical I've ever seen.
1: He should he should star in it actually, shouldn't he?"
0: Oh, he could be um he could be Marlon Brando. "You come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding."
1: <laughs> Even if he can't sing. <laughs> actually, yeah, maybe he could just like narrate it, you know, like William Shatner over the over a really like jazzy backing <laughs> track. That would be awesome, actually.
0: That would be that would be great. Yeah, you just get a nice sort of tsh, 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 going on in the background, a little bit of subtle bass work, and then he just starts starts totally scatting.
1: Yep, Austrian accent scat. That's what we're all here for.
0: I think that's that's a niche that has not yet been fulfilled. I think we need we need some Austrian accent scat.
1: Definitely. I'm now going to go and look up. If there are any famous Austrian scat singers, (laughs) that's going to be our research for the next episode. I'll report back.
0: Yeah. So, so listeners, do you like the idea of Godfather the musical? Um, And if so, do you think that Arnold Schwarzenegger should be in it? Um, And yeah, just let us, let us know what you think of this excellent plan that Paddy and I have.
1: Yeah. Let us know. We need, we value your input for sure. All right, well, that's going to do it for us. It's been nice talking to you, Anne.
0: Yes, no, it's been great. Oh, cool.
1: hope you guys have enjoyed this week's episode and we will see you next week to talk about Barefoot in the Park.
0: All righty, bye-bye.
1: All right, bye. bye alright <laughs> bye